the challenge for us is how much tech we can use and still keep the balance between tech and people. Tech is without question the biggest challenge for recruitment. It will have an effect in our industry over the next five years or so. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and my special guest today is Abed Hamid. Abed is the group CEO at Recruitment Entrepreneur, one of the most successful investors in startups and scaling recruitment businesses. Since 2014, they've invested in over 30 talented founders, enabling those founders to launch and scale successful business ventures. The group has annual revenues of 45 million pounds and is growing at 140% per annum. You can find out more at recruitmententrepreneur.com. Abid trained as a lawyer and worked in corporate banking before joining the recruitment industry over 25 years ago. He's currently the chairman or non-exec director of 19 recruitment businesses. His particular expertise is running culturally diverse teams, operating in challenging environments, facilitating turnarounds, and building and growing companies. Welcome, Abid. Thank you for being here. Morning, Mark. Very good to be here. Um, delighted. All right, fantastic. Now, you were referred to me by our mutual friend, Doug Bugy. How do you know Doug? So, Doug came to meet James in, I mean, in the 80s, really. And I was working at Alexander Mann then for James <clears throat> in a shitty little office um, just above a a kind of like Radio Shack shop in Tottenham. <laughs> and Doug came in with the concept of Humana and the Humana concept. Uh, Doug and James did a deal. Um, and I, I was at that point doing rather well as a recruiter. And James had said to me, look, why don't you take on the training piece? So I said, okay. Um, and there was a guy called Anthony Byrne, Tony Byrne. Famous I remember. Recruiting trainer. Um, and he he came as an introduction via Doug, and I I worked with Tony Byrne um, to deliver the training to the Humana franchise. So that's how I know Doug. I've known him forever. Wow, that's fantastic! As I mean, he is like the most enthusiastic guy <laughs> he is, ever. Yeah, right? he is, yeah. so. Yeah, He's a really generous guy as well in terms of just sharing his knowledge and trying to help, uh, you know, anyone in the recruitment industry. So um, it's interesting because I actually, I've been in this business long enough that I got trained by Tony Byrne. He was doing a tour to promote, I think it was his Placement 2000 video series. Uh, it was about 1999 or or 2000 thereabouts, and uh, he came up to Scotland on his tour, and uh, I went to a sort of seminar with him. So that's uh, interesting, Mark, because you'll see on my CV um, in LinkedIn um, that I ran a business for 17 and a half years called ARBP. ARBP stands for Anthony R. Byrne Productions Limited. Ah, right. So, okay. I, so when the Humana thing kind of moved on, Myself and Tony then set up ARBP, and the deal was he'd do the US, I'd do the UK and Europe, and we'd kind of share the rest of the world. Um, and yeah, so that's that's where the ARBP thing comes from. I mean, and, and at the end of the day, we ended up training recruiters in, I think it was 22 countries around the world. Uh, wow. It was, actually, it was quite interesting. 
interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. I didn't realize your involvement in that. And uh, I mean, that's oh, sort yeah, of- I'm old, Mark, I'm old. <laughs> well, that's not what I was saying. <laughs> what I was saying is that that like you and Tony have then spawned a whole generation of trainers, including me, uh, even though I, we have never met before, but I've obviously been influenced by that. And in fact, I'm in touch with quite a few members of the Pinnacle Society in the US, which is yeah. also kind of hugely influenced by Tony Byrne. I think he was the founder of that. He um, was, yeah. Yeah. And uh, wow, I've still got my Pinnacle, Pinnacle pin somewhere, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. So listen, uh, I think... Let's just dive into the the most difficult bit, which is how has the pandemic affected your portfolio companies? Like what, um, you've got a really unique vantage point because you're involved with so many different recruitment businesses. You've got a good overview of the landscape. Yeah, I mean, um, there's no question about the fact that it's it's been difficult. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll deal with the question in, in various formats. I think from a business point of view, um, we've actually done better than we did last year for the same quarter. Wow. Um, which is really weird, right? But it is, from a people point of view, it's been very, very tough. I think it's been tough on our people. It's been tough on the people that were furloughed. It was tough on the people who were let go. Um, and and I think in reality, it kind of makes you take a step back and say, you know, what is it that makes a really good business? Um, and, and we kind of boiled it down to, to a number of things in our, in our portfolio. Number one is that all our businesses are niche experts. So we have no generalist recruiters. Mm -hmm. With a niche expert is that there's always a demand for that niche. So, I mean, to give you an example, I mean, we don't have an accountancy and finance practice, but we have an internal audit practice. I mean, that's an even more niche than audit. <laughs> you know, yes. Uh, always that kind of uh, uh, kind of demand. I think there was a there was a drop off in demand for sure, um, and I think every business had to adjust. Um, and I think the businesses that adjusted fast in terms of preserving their cash, collecting their cash, and kind of just having enough relationships um, to see through the market. I think. Uh, are the ones that are going to be in very, very good position going forward. Because, you know, today's generation of recruiters, to a large extent, I think, feel that they have a relationship because they have multiple exchange of emails with someone. Right. You know, um, and, I, and I think, uh, you know, the old school recruiter would always knock on the door and say, look, that's not the way how you do it. Um, you know, and, and unfortunately, the time you find out whether it works or it doesn't work, is in a pandemic. So yeah, it's been, it's been tough without question, Mark. Um, mm. And I think the financial element of it is not a judgment factor. It's not a benchmark for me. I think the cultural exercise is a huge one. You know, I mean, just very simply taking the concept of working from home, right? Fantastic. However, you know, three, four months in, we now get the feedback from our staff, which is saying, well, actually, you know what? I'd love to come back to work. I'd love to come back to the office. Um, and I think it's, it's a really important lesson because it's, it's freedom and trust, which is, which is the fundamental uh, kind of, if you like, the balance of people working from home. 
Um, but at the same time, I think leadership needs to change its concept that nine to five is what people do. You know, the, the hours contract, 40-hour contract, 38-hour contract, I think is a, is a thing of the past. Mm. What you should have is a output contract. You know, your output is A, B, and C. We both agree it. How and when you deliver it within the time frame, I think that that's where the trust factor comes in. So there are lots of changes, and I think you have to embrace them rather than fight them. Mm, that's really interesting. Um, you know, this is runs counter to the way that many recruitment businesses have been run, you know, over the last 20 years, <clears throat> which <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the question then is, given that, so you're saying, look, this is the new reality. We are not, we need to embrace it rather than fight it. Correct. Then, and we're focusing on output instead of how many hours has someone worked. Um, it's not just looking at, okay, are they at their desk from eight in the morning till six at night? But what are they actually, what results have they produced? What's the output? But then the question is how do we move forward in that new way? Well, I think I think the new way is not that difficult. Once okay. you embrace the fact that you're comfortable with, with change, mm -hmm. you know, your staff and your people will, will, will tell you what works. Mm -hmm. I mean, the way we're approaching it today is we did an internal survey of all the guys, and I thought, okay, you know, 50% are definitely going to say I'm going to keep working from home. The reality is... 75, 80% of the people who came back and said, look, I don't want to go back full time, right? Or what I'd love to do is come in at least three days a week. So what we've started to do is we've started to kind of put some rules around that. So, you know, you can't get up on a Monday morning and go, well, you know what, it's a bit late and raining outside. So, you know, I'll use my, my one day this week on Tuesday. So you have to set your times, uh, you have to set the days that you're going to come into the office. You can work around meetings. You can have internal and external meetings around those dates. And also, from a very simple practical space point of view, space. You know, we are probably going to have a hot desk environment in the future where, where you have a rotor, you know, X, Y, and Z are coming in on a Monday. A, B, and C are coming on a Tuesday. So you can reduce your space count and, you know, lots of other things that would come off it. So... Mm. So I think the thing is that instead of going, oh, no, um, we're saying, well, come on then, let's, let's hear it. Because, you know, here's the math. 10 hours a day, 50 hours a week, right? 200 hours a month, 2,400 hours a year, you're sitting in the office. That's, that's one hell of a chunk of change. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so so I, think, I think I'm looking forward to it. Because one, I have no experience of it myself, never done it, you know, 95 forever, right? So it's kind of exciting. Uh, we're working with, with the guys to work out what are the rules. So still, still kind of, you know, still at the recipe stage, I think. Mm -hmm. Interesting. All right. Awesome. Listen, you, uh, you had a very interesting comment earlier about the resilience of the people in the businesses that you are involved in and you identified one key, well, two key factors, which had allowed them to weather the storm. One was their niche experts 
And number two is they have relationships that go beyond just, you know, uh, electronic communication. Are there any other common factors of the businesses that have done better during this period than the ones maybe who haven't, who have struggled? So I'll, I'll give you three examples, right? With three businesses that I was absolutely petrified about at the start of the pandemic. One was in education, i.e. teaching, the schools shutting down. The second one was in uh, in graduate recruitment. Um, and the third one was in property doing real estate, state agents. Yes. Um, all three, if you take a step back and thought, oh my God, COVID-19, that's it, these guys, these guys are, you know, gonna suffer. One of the things that all three of the businesses did was they pivoted really quickly. Um and diversified within their sector, but doing different things within their sector. So, for example, you know, one, the, the estate agency business had never done international, and suddenly it was, you know, it was making placements in Poznan, in Poland, and, and you know, in Berlin, and so on and so forth, um, because they'd never kind of really thought about it. But it, 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 it has now created a business which has got an international element and that's a positive out of COVID. Yeah. The, the graduate business, for example, the graduate business has been placing graduates into a SaaS environment for the last four years. I mean, suddenly realized, well, okay, if grads aren't going to be hired, what about the senior level? Right? So, so they kind of started doing that and so on and so forth. So, I mean, I think agility, uh, you know, uh, the ability to kind of not freeze, but go, okay, there's got to be something out there. You know, I am good at what I do. My business is good at good at what it does. I've just got to think outside the box. And I think, I think that's, that's a skill set in one sense. Right. Interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. That's for sure a skill set. And I guess the difficulty, at, I mean, the word pivot has become a cliche because, you know, it's almost, it's probably the most used word or, you know, uh, most trending word of 2020. Um, But knowing how to do that is different to knowing, understanding, okay, like my traditional market is, you know, in free fall, um, but I have all this knowledge that I've built up. I don't want to go into a completely unrelated space. Although recruitment is recruitment, you could, but then how many years have you invested in one niche? So then knowing how to find the opportunities that are adjacent to or related to your existing expertise, like, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think the answer to the question is is not as difficult as you may think it is. Mm-hmm. So, so fundamentally, most recruiters tend to work within a vertical within, within a client. You know, I'm an accountancy recruiter. I place, I don't know, bookkeepers or, or, you know, accountants. I've probably never had a conversation with the client in terms, same client, by the way, you know, who I know very well and I've been working with for the last three, four years. I've never probably asked him whether he has other divisions that need help. Never, because I've just not, never needed to. Yeah. Um, You've already got the relationship. They already know you're good at what you do. They are used to paying you fees, which is always a good thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and having that conversation, I'm not saying that it would, it would necessarily give you business, but 
it would certainly open your eyes to opportunities within the clients. And if you wanted to kind of take a sidestep and say, well, you know what, um, I, I would look at factory accounting or I would look at internal audit or risk and compliance or whatever it may be, kind of fundamentally related to what I do um, and, kind, and, and could find candidates in that marketplace. The kind of conversation, you don't need to have this, this dilemma on your own. Mm-hmm. You, need to, you need to engage with your clients and have a conversation with them and, and they will tell you. I think that's, and, and also obviously your candidate bank. You know, there, there are people out there who you've placed over the last four and a half years, 10 years, whatever it may be, um, or your temps or your contractors who have an immense amount of knowledge of what's going on in companies. Um, procuring that from them is the first step. You know, going, going blind into something is just is just not worthwhile doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. That's that one option. Yeah, no, absolutely. That makes total sense. Um, let's talk to our clients and candidates and they'll tell you what the opportunities are and, uh, you know, how you might still be able to, to work together. Um, look, are you guys still funding new ventures even during this disruptive environment or are you just concentrating on... No, we've just done one. Uh, we did one, which is a company called Expert Resources. We did that in uh, October. That is SAP specialist. Uh, we have five in the pipeline at latter stage. We get some somewhere in the region of twenty to sixty new leads a week. Wow. Okay. I mean, we we do market quite a, quite quite intensely. Yes. No, we're we're definitely definitely not stopping that. We are very interested um, in growing the portfolio. Mm. You know. If you think about it, four and a half years ago, we were 11 people. Mm-hmm. Pre-COVID, we were 210 in four and a half years, wow. uh, which is quite immense. Um, and even after COVID, I think we're at 137. Um, so no, we're, we're, we are open doors mm-hmm. um, and uh, looking forward to as many as we can we can conjure up, really. Well, well look, that's interesting because then it, Begs the question, if you're getting that volume of leads per week, what are you looking for in a founder that that then determines whether or not you'll invest in them? Because you've, I mean, uh, investing in 22 different businesses over the last four and a half years, but you've had, sounds like you've had hundreds of people who have approached you. So who makes the cut? What do you look at? Yeah, so give you some stats. Uh, last full year, we had 795 business plans. We did five deals. Okay. All right. Um, what makes the cut? Uh, really good question, actually. Um, I think it's the individual for me. Number one, it's the individual. You know, why are you sitting here? What have, what have you got in your head that you want to create? I mean, the analogy I give a lot of people, right, is that you're trying to build your dream house, right? So you're trying to build your dream house. You've designed it in your head. You know, you've got, the, the, the question is how much detail have you got into? Have you kind of worked out you want a smeg fridge and, you know, you want to, I don't know, certain types of windows, et cetera, the whole shooting match. And we, we if you like, apply the scaffolding to that business. We're the boring bit, Right but you have to have a very clear vision 
and an, if you like, a dream for no other use of the word, um, and detail around that dream um, for us to go, wow, you know, that, that's interesting. Um, so it's, it's down to the people. It's down to your characteristics, your behaviors, you know, um, and then obviously all the numbers and the business plans and all that kind of stuff comes along. But uh, without question, number one is that you've got to be, you've got to be a certain type of individual. And by the way, none of them are the same. Uh, all 30 of them are pretty unhinged in some way. You know, you have to be, <laughs> you want to set up your own business from scratch. Um, but, um, you know, there's got to be an element of fun. You've got, to, you've got to be kind of driven. You want to wake up every morning going, wow, you know, I'm doing what I set out to do. Um, and, and I think those are the kinds of things that uh, you can't probably put your finger on it. I couldn't give you a list because the list would be full of cliched phrases, right? Um, but those that do and those that don't, um, for us, it comes down to a very simple exercise. First point of call is the individual. And by the way, there are some fantastic individuals that we've met, we've discussed with, uh, who have got great businesses and will go on to do great things, just not for us. Interesting. Um, so a couple of questions following on from that. One is, are there particular sectors you're more interested in than others, or it really just boils down to the person and their drive to, to build something? More agnostic to sector. Okay. Yeah, agnostic to sector. I mean, we've got everything from pharma, life sciences, teaching to, to you know, internal audit or banking or whatever. I mean, right. really not that fast. It's your dream. Mm. It's your house, right? Mm -hmm. uh, not mine. Uh, and, and we're not there. I mean, we, we, we create a platform for you to create a scalable business that's exitable within a certain period of time. Our, we have a plan A, and the plan A is that it's ex you have to be able to create a business that's exitable. So we're not interested in boutique businesses. Um, and, and we don't have a plan B. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's, that is plan, a, plan B referred to plan A. Yeah. Plan A only. Okay. Yes. So, and, and that means that there are certain things that we would do in our business that if you're looking to do a boutique business, wouldn't be right. Mm -hmm. um, and therefore, there are lots of businesses that we've gone, wow, that's a really good business, but it's not exitable. And therefore, therefore, it's not for us, but didn't make it a bad business in any way. Makes total sense. And so, well, you've already given one clear um, factor, but what are there any other deal breakers like in the dragon's den, you know, terminology that say I'm out, you know, what are the, what are the factors that you, you definitely think, nope, not for us apart from, um, I can don't, we, exit? we don't, we, we don't do volume, volume skilled labor or unskilled labor. And that's, again, if you look at the, if you look at the, uh, exitable value of a business, um, the formula that's used is, is your EBIT minus debt times a multiple. Yeah. Right. Now, those businesses will carry a huge amount of debt um, unless you make them very big. I mean, like really big. Um, it's probably not exitable within our model. 
And therefore, it would be unfair to do the deal with the guys because we'll be like, look, you know, at some point in the future, you've done all that work. Well, actually, you're only going to get 50 quid, you know? Um, right. Something that I would want to do. So, I mean, that's more to do with the dynamics and the maths rather than we're not interested in that sector. Um, but it just wouldn't work within, within our sector, within the time frame. Got it. So you're not interested in this sort of high volume temp, but presumably you must have contract or interim. Oh, yeah, yeah. We have contract or temp. We do have yeah. contract or temp books. Um, I mean, we are probably running somewhere between 600, 700 contractors. Okay. Fully. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Okay. So not the high volume, not the boutique, any other factors that immediately would discount uh, uh, a business plan? really. Okay. Uh, not none that I can think of. I'm sure there are some, but mm. uh, none that I can think of right now. All right. Fair enough. Interesting. Since you're listening to this podcast, it tells me that you're someone who's interested in personal growth and business improvement. That's something we have in common. I really enjoy listening to podcasts, reading and listening to business books, watching TED Talks. But by far the most important investment I've made in my own development has been working with a coach. It started back in 1999, 2000, when I was working as a recruiter. I hired a coach and he helped me to double my billings in 90 days. It was, it sounds corny, but it was really a life-changing experience. Since then, I've worked with various coaches almost continuously over the years, and it's made a massive difference to my own personal and business success. In fact, that first experience of working with a coach was the catalyst for me ultimately deciding that much as I loved recruitment, my true purpose was to become a coach and enable others to achieve their full potential. Fast forward to today, and I work with recruitment business owners to help them escape the feast and famine roller coaster and create consistent, predictable billings. If you'd like to know more, you can apply for a free strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. Listen, uh, let's switch gears here a bit. As an investor, you're involved in 22 different businesses. What challenges or opportunities do you see for the recruitment industry in 2021 and beyond? Wow, good question. Big question. Mm. Um, I think the challenges for the recruitment industry are, are, are based mainly around our clients and our clients' people. Clients are changing a, a lot faster than we give them credit for. Um, we kind of still kind of fear things like internal recruiters and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I think that that game's so settled um, that it should be normal. Um, you know, that is a norm today. I think the challenge for us is how, how much tech we can use and still keep the, keep the balance between tech and people. Um, tech is without question the biggest challenge for recruitment. There are lots and lots of tech elements out there now. I mean, I probably see one a week um, from an investment point of view. There is no question about the fact that it, it will have an effect in our industry over the next five years or so. Um, however, it's, you know, I'm old enough to remember when the first websites came out. <laughs> came out and everybody was at that point going, you know, oh my God, that's it. It's the end of recruitment. Um, and I don't think that's ever going to happen. Not, not in my lifetime, anyhow. Um, and, and I think that's why this niche specialization, this 
you know, inch wide, mile deep concept of being a recruiter where you really genuinely know your, your market, your sector and the people within it, you cannot compensate for that by, by tech in the short term. I think long term, AI will kind of probably catch up pretty quickly. Um, but in the short term, I don't think that's going to happen. I think the other thing is that, you know, this pandemic will end at some point. Um, and when it does, are recruiters ready for what's going to come our way? Um, I think it's going to be a different kind of bounce. Um, I think there's a lot of pent-up uh, energy out there. There are lots, lots of pent-up requests, I think, from a client perspective that are going to hit the market. Um, and I hope this time around the recruitment industry kind of deals with it, uh, not by just throwing bodies at it. Mm-hmm. We've been through recessions before the financial meltdown. You know, when it when we turned, market turned very quickly, and literally, if you had two arms, two legs, you know, you could get a job. Um, and um, and I just hope that the recruitment industry doesn't kind of have that knee jerk reaction and kind of keep the quality end of it up. What does that look like in practical terms? So you're saying are recruitment companies ready for the bounce of the pent up demand, uh, and you know, will they manage that in the appropriate way? Like, could you be specific about what you think the correct? I mean, if you think about if you think about the percentage of turnover, percentage of profit that recruitment companies use on L and D, what do you think? What do you think that number is? Oh, so it's interesting because the the fast growing companies invest a lot because they recognize the the importance, but 95% of recruitment businesses spend almost nothing on L&D. And therein lies my, my, my issue with it. Um, you know, you cannot stand still um, on L&D. I mean, to give you an example, when we, when we set up uh, the RE platform, I mean, one of the things we did was we got Cass Business School involved and said, we'd like, we'd like a program designed for entrepreneurs within recruitment. So a bespoke program for us. Um, and, um, and, you know, you need to up the ante in terms of the quality of what you're delivering to the people, because the knowledge that, you know, not all knowledge is great, but you're not going to find out till you, till you know it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, yes. you know, I think, I think for me, LND is a big exercise. Um, some very weird and wonderful things. I mean, we we got some ex special forces guys to come in and talk to us about leadership. Cool. Uh, we have had various types of people, outsiders who who are business leaders, come and talk to us about how they built their businesses and stuff. Um, and then real, you know, grungy thirty steps of recruitment kind of rec- you know go through the process. Um, but that's a constant. And also, we involve our our CEOs and our internal uh, uh, people to actually deliver some of the courses as well. So we did a mini, what was it called? The Future Leaders course, um, where we literally, you know, taught them what a PNL is and what balance sheets are and, you know, how do you run a team and how do you manage a team and bill at the same time and, you know, all the kind of classic stuff. But, but I, I think the answer to your question, just kind of rounding up really quickly, is, um, is L&D is the way you go. You know, be ready for the bounce, not just simply by having people sitting there, 
but having smarter people who, who, if they haven't been researching their sector and learning their sector more intently um, in the last three to five months, then that's also wrong because you're supposed to be a new specialist. You know, you should be able to sit back and go, right, in my industry, this is what happened during the pandemic. These are the things that they are worried about. And therefore, you can have a fairly sensible conversation with your clients. Absolutely. There's so many uh, things I'd like to follow up on there, but certainly the importance of LND, uh, a great example of that in my experience is I had the fortune and privilege of being involved with a fast growing company for about 10 years called Amoria Bond. They're headquartered in Manchester. Um, And they grew, when I started working with them, it was the three founders. They had 12 other people. There's 15 of them. Now they're up over 150 um, in four countries. And I mean, they did a lot of things right, but one of those was they really invested heavily in L&D from the leaders, the founders, their own development uh, through to the, you know, the future leaders, through to the consultants, to the trainees. Uh, it was something which they fo- they spent money on, they spent time on, and they really did a great job of it. And I think that's one of the keys to how they were able to scale because they were constantly developing people from trainee to consultant, from consultant to senior, from senior to, you know, billing manager, from billing manager to et cetera. And they essentially replace themselves within the business uh, very, you know, very rapidly. Um, but we're, we're, we're preaching to the converted here, Abed, because the listeners of this podcast are the sort of people who are interested in training, learning, growth, and, and so on. Um, tell me, you mentioned people management as being like one of the key things that you're training on and you've, you mentioned to me previously, it's the crux of every successful business comes down to people management. Could you elaborate on that? Wow. Um, look, people management's a, a very delicate balance, right? Um, a very delicate balance of, of allowing your people to flourish mm-hmm. in certain parameters. And, 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 it's almost kind of like the Oscar Wilde thing, right? The Oscar Wilde's view was that experience is just another word for your mistakes, right? Um, and obviously, as a, as, as a leader, you've probably made more mistakes than anybody else, or I hope you have, because otherwise you wouldn't have been that successful. Um, and I think what you're trying to do is the balance is kind of like managing your people so they avoid the mistakes that you can probably see and they can't. To a large extent, they they will make their own mistakes, and I want them to, but you want to kind of guide them through the rapids, if you like, um, in a way where, you know, you've got a light hand on the tiller rather than a really strong hand on the tiller. You know, the old school version would have been you come in and you didn't sit down until you finished your phone calls, right? (laughs) Right, right. Stand up. We used to call it stand up canvassing. You had to stand at your desk until you got your first vacancy or, or visit. Absolutely. So, I mean, you know, that kind of stuff is all gone now. Um, I think the, the generation that is working in recruitment today has information at its fingertips. It it moves a lot faster. Um, It's, it's a different individual, a different environment. And I think what, what you need to do is let them flourish but within certain rules. And the problem is 
Uh, most people don't set those rules at the start. They set them as they go along. Mm. So when you walk in through the door, so I'll, I'll give you a very simple example. This is yeah. a classic recruitment example. Anybody in recruitment will know this. Okay, you <laughs> recognize this. So you've got a company, it's just hired somebody and you're sitting with the management team and saying, right, so you've hired this guy, right? So what's he going to be doing? Yeah, look, first three months, he's just going to kind of learn the business, right? And then suddenly on the fourth month, we're like, where are his numbers? Mm. I, I think that is the most ridiculous exercise ever, right? Guys walking in or this person is walking in day one, most enthusiastic. Right? They've just taken their new job. They're like, wow, I'm in. It's fantastic, right? And then we just get, we then take all the shackles off and go, wow, take it easy, right? For the next three months. Um, and, and we'll see you on the fourth month. Um, I just wouldn't do that. I would from day one say, right, what's your 30 day plan? What's your 60 day plan? What's your 90 day plan? Let me sit down and work with you on it, get it done. And then that they are now at their most enthusiastic and their most energetic. And I want them to create the, the norm on their desk and their, their environment from day one, not in month three, you know, you can't, you can't then change the norm easily anyway. Yeah. So that's a classic example of parameters and, and you know, the style by which you, you recruit. Now, a lot of people say, oh, well, that's pretty hard and old school. It's not. Because I'm not going to sit on top of that person and micromanage them. Because if, if I have to hire somebody and then tell them how to do the job, I've got it wrong already. Interesting. So that's a... Yeah, yeah, that's a great example. Could you elaborate uh, further on what you mean? So you've got a leader who is highly experienced. They've made lots of mistakes. Um, therefore, they're able to mentor and, and guide people, and you know they know where the where the rocks are and where the the, you know, the holes are. So you said light hand on the tiller, and you gave one example. Can you uh, elaborate on any other like practical examples of where you've seen good? management versus, you know, maybe less good practice? Well, there's less good practice. I think we'll avoid that. Yeah. Um, practice, I think, is is involving your people in your decision-making, right? Mm. I mean, have a Chinese kind of parliament, but I mean, in terms of sitting down and explain, you know, it's, it's a classic thing. A lot of recruitment companies won't tell their people what their numbers are. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. They're the ones making it. Absolutely. And and they know you're making a profit, hopefully. So what's the issue? So, you know, that for me, I I find that, I don't know, I just find it a little odd. If you want people to work for you and you want them to be enthusiastic and part of a successful unit, then have some transparency to it. Maybe you don't have to tell them everything, agreed, but they should have clarity in terms of, the vision of the business, right? Vision alone isn't going to get you somewhere. Vision leads to strategy. Strategy leads to actions. Mm-hmm. You have either strategy, no vision, or no actions in the strategy and a vision. You need all three. So, so I mean, there, there's an example for you. Just very simply involve your people in in the objectives that you as a manager or you as a leader are trying to achieve, 
um, explain it to them, show them how to get there, show them what's required. And then there's no confusion, is there? Totally right. Uh, I agree 100%. In fact, one of my mentors, I don't know if you came across this guy, Romney Raws, um, is, uh, he, he's, he was a founder of a number of businesses involved yeah. in flotations. He was actually a, a board director at Reed PLC for, yeah. for a number of years. Anyway, I, I, uh, I learned a huge amount from Romney. I sort of cultivated him as a mentor, um, before he's, he retired to the South of France. And, um, his thing was, you know, why would you, profit is good. Let's celebrate that within the business. Let's let the team know where we are against our goals, be transparent about that and get them involved in helping to, to because the more growth we have in profit, the more opportunity that creates for everybody. Why would you hide that and sort of only show them a small, you know, part of that, of that picture? It doesn't really make, make sense when you think about it. Um, now let, I'd like to pull together a few different strands here. One was this future of, you know, we're going to work part-time in the office. We're going to hot desk. We're going to, um, you know, be working from home some of the time. At the same time, we're, when the bounce comes, the demand will increase. We're going to need to hire more recruiters again. And thirdly, you mentioned the importance of learning and development. Now, this is the weak point that I can see is, this sort of remote working and and virtual working and and managing by uh, you know outcomes rather than you know uh, micromanaging people and so on is great for the experienced people who already know what they're doing. But w- how should we train new people in the this future environment where we like in the olden days they would you would sit beside them you would li- actually listen into their calls they would listen into your calls. You'd take them on joint client meetings. You'd sit, you know, they'd sit in on your interviews with candidates. So they would really learn their trade at your elbow. You know, you would teach them on the job and they'd also pick up from their, you know, they're sitting in a, on a sales floor. They're listening to the successful billers and how they phrase things and so on. Now, it, if everyone's sitting at home and I'm, I've just started the job, I can't go into the office, but I'm sitting at home and I'm trying to learn how to be successful at recruiting. How, how can we work around that? So really good question. I mean, I don't have all the answers. I can tell you that. Um, but our approach to it is detail. Okay. If somebody's coming into our business, um, the onboarding exercise needs to be thought through in a lot of detail. Yeah. Right. And, and that means that that training effort, normally you would have sat with one manager, right? The, the, the beauty about tech is let's assume you join me and I've got a team of 30 people. You can, you can sit in on 30 conversations because of tech. Yes. So you can sit in on 30 Zoom calls over a week or 30 calls over a week. Tech will allow you to do that. That's not an issue. Mm. Now learning faster and a more varied version than you would have done learning all my mistakes while I'm sitting in one corner and you're managing with me, you know? Um, so, so, so I think, you know, you've, you've got to kind of just break down the problem. I mean, I think the cultural, hopefully we can, we can kind of negate by kind of two or three days in a, in the office, but the training element, is is not as difficult 
you know, if you kind of break it down. Um, and then you've got to you've got to push a ladder for that individual. They've got to master those. You can't master everything day one. Mm-hmm. So master a ladder, right? And that could be, let's start with a very simple old school thing. Um, go through our database and talk to every candidate. Mm. Just updating, just updating their, 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 their details. Morning, Mr. X, you know, calling from XYZ, just here to kind of just update your, your, your data. We've, we haven't spoken to you for two years, whatever it may be. How are you doing? End of, right? Now, what will that do? It'll do a number of things. It will teach you your industry very quickly because not all of those people, mono, uh, you know, monosyllable conversations. You're going to read probably, I don't know, 200 CVs in a month, right? You're going to probably create some relationships and you're definitely going to get some market intel, right? That's just one element of a building block or the stairs or whichever way you want to call it. There are a thousand things we could do. The problem is nobody sits back and takes the time to break our job down. Our job is actually pretty simple. Um, you know, uh, but breaking it down, and it's like it's like a Japanese garden, right? It looks so beautiful, it's so simple. Try doing it. Right. Try raking that in that same way they do it. Simplicity comes at a price. And you've got to master that. And, and, and in order for us to get good recruiters, you've just got to put the quality of what you want way out there. You know, the has mm. got to be high. Awesome. And, and then, then you get great people. Yeah, so for sure, breaking it down. And then I like the ladder or the, the, the stairs analogy where, you know, get them to master one sort of core skill set at a time competency at a time and then you 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 build on that but it's an absolutely great point like actually if you think about it with technology and zoom calls and so on you know and i hadn't thought about it this way that in some ways makes it easier to get people involved and get them to learn their craft rather than the old way where you have to jump in a car and go to meet the client together and the whole thing takes you know two hours or three hours out of the office uh, you could do five client visits in a in a in a day, really, yeah. from from your desk. So, yeah, you mentioned that there's some kind of uh, charity you're involved in Armed Forces Covenant. Yeah. Is that what? Could you explain so we, that? We signed up to the Armed Forces Covenant. Um, we support ex-army soldier officers and soldiers who are coming out of the army to make the transition. I do pro bono work for senior army officers um, who, are, who are looking for that transition advice from, from being a senior army officer to going into business or getting a job or whatever. Um, and yeah, you know, it's one of, our, one of many that we, we support. Um, and, and I think it's a really important thing, giving back uh, for me, to, to society. So each of our 22 businesses will have their own um, charity that they support. They do marathons or rugby clubs or whatever it may be. Um, for RE, it's uh, the Armed Forces Governor. Why, why that one in particular? What's the meaning of that in, ter- in your... Um, 
So I, I, I was in, I was in the TA. Um, okay. uh, so I've, I've got a military background in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I know lots and lots and lots and lots of people in it. Um, and I don't see why not. Um, and also, you know, there's some amazing people there who sacrificed a lot so that you and me can have this conversation. Absolutely. For sure. Abed, it's been wonderful meeting you. I really appreciate uh, your time. Uh, I've learned a lot, uh, which is why I, I love doing these podcasts is because I learn every time I, I do these. So uh, if people want to find out more about, you know, getting investment and, and, and uh, building a business, you know, with Recruitment Entrepreneur, what is the, I mean, obviously they go to your website, recruitmententrepreneur.com or for short, it's uh, recruitmentvc.com. Um, and what's the, what's the process from there? So the process is, is very detailed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have two directors, uh, Alex Niarkos and, and Mark Riley, uh, Mark, um, sorry, Mike, Mike Ryle, um, who are investment directors who will take the first initial call, mm-hmm. have a really detailed conversation with you in terms of what you're looking to do, what, you know, what it is that you've got in your mind, this vision, this dream of this dream house you're trying to build. Um, and then there's a very prescribed process. Um, I mean, it would just take too long to tell, walk you through. Sure, no problem. <laughs> it's all on the website. Um, the website's, you know, www.recruitmententrepreneur.com. Um, you know, all the information is there. There are plenty of people that would be more than happy to answer any of your questions. Uh, feel free. You know, go for it. I mean, you know, if you want to go mad, start your own business. And <laughs> <laughs> it's not for the faint-hearted, but uh, it's not for the faint-hearted, but that's yeah. a good, it's a good place to start. Yeah, yeah, awesome. All right, Abid, thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. I know how busy recruiters are, so I'm honored that you're investing this time with me each week. I don't take your attention for granted. That's why I'm going all out to deliver value for you here, real insights you can apply to improve your business. And if you really want to help me to reach a wider audience and impact more people, please consider leaving the show a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave me a review, please reach out and let me know so I can thank you personally. Please hit the subscribe button and I'll see you next time.